So you can tell from your guys' study sheets that it would be like nearly impossible to get through absolutely everything uh, today. <laughs> um, so there's going to be some things that we hit, some things that we don't. But here, here was my goal. I wanted to try to encapsulate this topic in one week because next week I want to talk about the Holy Spirit and I want to move on to other topics within the whole doctrinal studies um, just topic. Uh, but if we end up getting stuck on some stuff, if God leads that direction, then we might do this for a couple weeks. But I wanted to give you everything. Remember a few weeks ago when I mentioned to you that this study, there's a lot to it. And there's some things that you can take and study out for your morning devotions if you don't have any place to go. Well, this study sheet this morning is proof of that, that there is plenty. So there are some huge, huge, vastly important things in here that I would recommend that you take some time to really work through that we're not going to have the chance to get through um, ourselves. But it's very, very, very important. So this morning we get to talk about the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And I'm excited about this. Um, it's, all, it's one of my favorite topics uh, because He's my Savior. He's my Lord. And um, I love to talk about Him. And so when it comes to this topic and the things we're going to be talking about, I don't think any of this is really new to you guys. But the perspective of it might be. So I really want you guys to uh, just to embrace the challenge to look at some of these things from a different viewpoint and um, just take some things because I know there's going to be some stuff that you've never really thought about before as we go through some of this stuff. All right. So first thing, turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. So we did a study a while ago. Most of you probably were not in here for that study, but we did the seven New Testament mysteries. And this is the first mystery that we cover in that study. It's very, very important. But Jesus Christ, and the title of this is God was manifest in the flesh. Now this concept to me is just, I mean, it just baffles me. Like whenever I study and, and you go through all the things we just talked about with God, like start naming some of his characteristics from the past couple weeks. He's holy. What else we got? Omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, which means what? All-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. Yeah, all-present, all-present. He's all-present. He's present everywhere at the same time. And he's also eternal. There's no beginning and there's no end to him. And yet God himself will become a human. Like you start to take all those things and you start to wrap them up inside of a human body and it doesn't even register. Like in my mind, it doesn't even compute at all. How can a person be eternal, has no beginning, has no end, knows all things, is everywhere at the same time, and yet in a human body. Those things just completely baffle my mind. And this is where, like we talked about a few weeks ago, and even last week, are you going to choose to trust the scriptures? Because that's what the Bible says. God was manifest in the flesh. And this is the, probably the clearest verse in the entire Bible that talks about that. First Timothy 3, and then we have verse 16. And it says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. And then there's a colon there because it's going to explain what that is. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And so the first thing that it says here, it's very similar to what we talked about with the existence of God. When it comes to the existence of God, what does the Bible say? He exists. He exists. He is. In our culture, people don't want to believe that. Just like at the lunch table or the table you were sitting down in, we don't believe in him. Great, thanks. <laughs> the Bible says he exists. People just flat out don't want to believe in him. So the Bible says without controversy. 
So there's no controversy about this. The world may argue about it. People may argue about it, but there's no controversy. From God's perspective, from the Bible's perspective, there's no controversy. God was manifest in the flesh. And I love that because the Bible is very confident about it. And so when you get in circumstances where you're talking about Jesus, you're talking about God, don't shirk back. Why? You have nothing to hesitate about. You have nothing to second guess yourself about. God exists. Jesus is God. He is the Savior. Those things around you in your heart, in your head that are trying to get you to hesitate on those things, that is not from God because the Bible has no problem with these things. There's no controversy about it. There's no debate about it. There's no hesitation from the Bible's perspective about these particular topics. God was manifest in the flesh. So that's kind of our theme verse for the whole topic here. But the first thing that I want you to see, and you guys know this, and especially around Christmas time, we're going to read some of these passages that we typically read around Christmas. But Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. So that's the first thing. So before Jesus even showed up, a long time, a long, long time, hundreds, even thousands of years in some passages, he was prophesied to come and to be the Savior for the nation of Israel, to be their Messiah, and for us to be our Savior. And that goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15, where God promised that he would come. Now, let's take a look at a few other ones that you may not know. Let's go to Psalm 132. Psalm 132. Psalm 132, verse 11. The Lord hath sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it, of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. That was a promise of God, and that's why Jesus is called the root and the offspring of David. God promised that there would come a physical human being that would be the Savior and would sit upon the throne of Israel. Very, very clear. Very clear. Some of the other ones that really blow my mind is going to be Isaiah, which we go to that one a lot, but go to Isaiah 7 and then Isaiah 9. Because there are bits and pieces, even though we hear these these verses, these passages every single year around this time, there are things in here that I don't realize if I just slow down and I start reading it and see what it says. So Isaiah 7, someone read verse 14. Go ahead, Ken. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, so hold on a second. We read this verse a lot, every single year. Therefore the Lord, what is that word after that? Himself shall give you a sign. Okay, have you ever noticed that before? God himself. Like God's not going to have someone else do it. He's not going to send, he himself. Like he's going to be the sign. He himself is going to be the sign. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And according to the passage in Matthew, what does Matthew, what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. God with us. That's what the name means. So from this point, which was hundreds of years before Jesus was ever even born, there's a prophecy that said that God himself would come and he would be a son and he would be God. So this isn't anything brand new. This is something that has been prophesied way before he even showed up. Go over to chapter 9. Chapter 
All right, and this one we definitely read every single year. Nine, and we will do six and seven. Someone take six, someone take seven. Six and seven. Yeah, Carson. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. All right, pause a second right there. So this child that will be born, beginning in verse six, his name shall be called, you got Wonderful Counselor, What's the next one? The mighty God. The mighty God. So just think about this. How many times in the Gospels did the Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees tell, the, tell Jesus that he was blaspheming for calling himself God? It happened like crazy, making himself equal with God, where he said in John, I and my father are one. That's not blasphemy. That's exactly what it says. A child will be born, and his name shall be called the mighty God. So he will be God. So there's no issue with this. The reason why they brought that up is because that would be a reason for them, for them to put him to death. That would be the only reason why they brought it up to the table. But that's what the prophecy says. A child will be born, and he will be called the mighty God. All right, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it. And to establish it with judgment and with justice, and henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Okay, so not only did God promise it, but then at the very end of verse 7, he says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. So he even makes a double promise on top of it, saying, I will accomplish this. But this child that will be called the mighty God and the everlasting Father, you can't get more descriptive than that is going to sit upon the throne of David in Jerusalem and have a kingdom that will increase and there will be no end. That's pretty clear. I mean, it's pretty clear. Is it clear? Okay. So this should have been a no-brainer to the Jews. Absolute no-brainer, but yet they would not accept it. So this is, this is major. This is major. This is a big deal. This is why the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they were just flat out wrong. He is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. And what's sad is that this is who they were waiting for. I mean, imagine that you're, I mean, these things were written, I mean, hundreds of years, hundreds of years. And then you have a period of about 400 years where nothing happens. Like God doesn't speak through prophets. There's no new writings. There's nothing. And then all of a sudden the promised Messiah shows up and they're like, uh-uh, you're not it. We don't want you. This is the person that they've been waiting for the whole time. He's the fulfillment of everything that the Old Testament prophesied down to a T, and they didn't even want anything to do with him. Now, think about this for a second. This is really interesting. So the scriptures declare that there are uh, 48 prophecies about Christ before he was born and another 500 pertaining to his second coming. If we were to even just consider from just from a mathematical perspective, the chances of 48 prophecies coming to pass fulfilled by one person written 400 to 2000 years before he was born is one out of 10 to the 157th power. So those of you that don't understand math, you don't understand anything I just said. <laughs> but here, here's an example. There are not that many electro electrons in the universe. Just that number alone. There's not that many electrons in the universe. If you count the universe to be 50 billion square light years in all four directions, that's just if. So the chances of all that happening with one person with just 48 prophecies is, I mean, absurdly, absurdly impossible. And yet it did happen. This is why the Bible says there's no controversy. 
there's no controversy. People can say what they want, they can believe what they want, but they're wrong. Flat out wrong. And you can be confident about it. You can be bold about it. Because you're right. And they're wrong. There's no reason for you to hesitate. And we do. We hesitate all the time. And there's this thing inside of us, it's our flesh, and it's the world, and the spirit of the age, which we're going to be talking about on Wednesday night when we talk about Laodicea, that tries to get you to shut your mouth, that tries to get you to think that you might be wrong. You're not wrong. Just look at the facts. I mean, one out of 10 to the 157th power. Just think about that. That's, that's massive. That's massive. All right, let's move on to our next point. So in order to understand uh, all the stuff about uh, Jesus, we got to understand these next two points. That Jesus is 100% God. He's called the Son of God in the Scriptures. And that he's 100% man. So we're going to spend some time talking about, first, that he was 100% God. That he was God. All right? So go to Philippians 2, and then give me a reader for um, some passages in the book of John. All right? Let's do John 1. 1 and 2 and 14, John 8, 58, got that one, Hannah, John 10, 30, you got that one, uh, John 20, 28, who's got that one? All right, Kurt, well, you already had that one, Jack, take that one. All right, so Jesus is 100% God, he's called the Son of God in the Scriptures, and he's 100% man, he's called the Son of Man in the Scriptures. So the Scriptures clearly declare this, and there's no controversy about it. Philippians 2, for everybody else, Philippians 2, and verse 6 is going to be our verse. Philippians 2. Okay. Philippians 2, verse 6. Talking about Jesus, it says, Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. So verse 6 is that he was 100% God. Verse 7 is that he was 100% man. It's right there in Philippians 2. The doctrines are established, 100% God, 100% man. He was equal with God, and he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, which means he deserved that place. It was his. It's not something that he took. It's not something that didn't belong to him. It was his rightfully as part of the Trinity. He was equal with God, okay? Now listen to these verses in the book of John. John 1, 1 and 2 and verse 14. Good. John, 8.58. How is that possible? Before Abraham was, I am. When was Abraham born? A couple years ago. A couple years before Jesus was born, right? Just a few. Handful. Yeah. (laughs) A lot. A lot. Before Abraham was, I am. How is that possible? How can he make that kind of a statement? Because he's the everlasting father the mighty God. That's who he is. Listen to John 10 30. I and my father are one. Okay. Really clear. Can't explain that one any better. Good job, God. John 20, 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord and my God. Okay. So even Thomas, after Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he called him my Lord and my God. If Jesus was not God, that statement, he would have said, no, 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 no. Don't do that. That's not who I am. But no, he said, my Lord and my God. And he received it because it was true. Very simple. Very simple. So some examples of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can look up some of this stuff later. 
In Micah 5, 2 and Colossians 1, it talks about how he is eternal. Hebrews 13, 8 says he is unchangeable. He is omnipotent in Luke, Mark, Matthew. He is omnipresent. Je- that's right. Jesus is everywhere at the same time. Matthew 28, John chapter 3. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He even knows the depths of your heart more than you ever, more than you could even search them out. He knows the thoughts of your mind before you even think them. It says that in Mark, John, and Luke. He's holy. That's Mark. He's sinless, 1 Peter 2. He's just, Acts 3. He is the righteous judge, Acts 17. We'll get to that in a little bit later. He is loving. He is merciful. He is faithful. He is the creator. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the creator. If you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and you read through the six days of creation, God the Father didn't create everything. The Holy Spirit didn't create everything. Jesus did. Out of the breath of Jesus' mouth, he created everything. That means Jesus created you. He's the one that knit you together in your mother's womb. Him. Which is why he is qualified to also be your savior. And that's also why he's qualified to be your judge. And we're going to talk about that later. So he's the creator. He forgives sin. He raises the dead. And he receives worship. Those are just some examples. There's a ton more of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ and why he is God. Okay, now let's talk about how he is 100% man, 100% man. We just read Philippians 2, 6 and 7. Let's read Philippians 2, 7 again. But made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is a very simple concept. We've already even read John 1.14 that the word became flesh and they beheld him. Uh, go to Hebrews 2. I want you to see this one. Hebrews chapter 2. I love this verse. Hebrews chapter 2. Just a little bit to your right. From Philippians. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2 and verse 14. Okay, before we do 14, go back up to 9. I want to read 9 first. I like this one. But we see Jesus, who is made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. See, the reason why I love this verse is because it destroys Calvinism. Calvinism is the doctrine that believes that Jesus only died for certain people. And it says here that he tasted death for every man. The Bible is not a liar. When he died, he tasted death for every man. I love that. Look at verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, that's us, you and I, we're children of human beings, and so we're partakers of flesh and blood. He also himself likewise took part of the same That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. See, God had to become a human in order to destroy the works of the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. No, he didn't become an angel. But he took on him the seed of Abraham. He became a human being. He became a Jew. Wherefore, in all things, it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered, being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. 
See, I love this about God. Like just, this is one of the things I, I love about him and I appreciate about him. God, he wanted to be a, such a comforter to me personally and to you personally that he chose to become like you to walk in your shoes, to feel the things that you feel, to struggle with the same things that you struggle with. Yes, the same things, because we all struggle with the same things. doesn't matter what generation. doesn't matter what century. Human nature is human nature. The object might be different, but the feelings and the emotions and the struggles are the same. God became like you, so that way you could have a God that you could relate to. What? Like, why would he do that? Why would he do that? Like, why? He doesn't have to do anything like that. Why would God do something like that for you? Why would he? Answer. Give me an answer. Why would he do that? Why would God create you, see you fall into sin, and then be made like you to go through the same things that you go through, feel the same things that you feel, struggle with the same things that you struggle with, and then die for your sins? Why would he do that and resurrect from the grave? Why would he do that? No one else will. My wife will answer. I don't know if I'm right. <laughs> it's all right. Go ahead, Jack. Absolutely. That's good. Noah? Love, because he loves us, for sure. Why else? Yeah. Yeah. Like... If you're going through a difficulty, like I know some of you, you haven't lived long enough to go through something that's really difficult. Like you think it might be difficult, but it's really not that difficult. But some of you have gone through some really horrific things. Someone that is by your side and with you through it, knowing that they can't bear all the burden, but they're with you and they're, they're helping you and they're, they care for you. They're checking on you. They're, they're seeing how you're doing. They're, they're crying with you. They're, they're laughing with you. They're encouraging you. What does that mean to you? For those of you that have gone through difficult moments, I mean, what does that mean to you? Everything. Everything. I mean, Reese, you can answer that even from this past week. What has that meant to you? Yeah. It's huge. I mean, I've gone through some horrific things in my life. And one of my closest friends as a result is Andy Spate. And honestly, like Andy's not here today, so I can say this freely, even though he might actually listen to the podcast. Who knows? That's a risk I'm going to take. When we were in high school, I know he would say this. He would agree. He was an idiot. He was, he was, he was just not like, he was someone when he got saved, I was like, that's amazing. But in my mind, I really didn't expect him to really walk with God. I thought he was going to fall off the bandwagon. I thought he was going to be unfaithful and he struggled a little bit here and there, but I just did not see him as someone that would actually make it with Christ. You know what I mean? There's certain people that they say, oh, you know, like, yeah, I don't know. Okay. So Andy was kind of that guy. And yet when I mean, everything hit the fan. And my dad resigned from Calvary Bible Church. There's only two people, two people in my life out of like, I mean, hundreds, two people that reached out to me and loved me and stayed with me every step of the way. One of them was Andy. 
And that means the world to me. Because that was one of the most difficult things I've ever gone through in my life. And that's just a human being. Now put Jesus in that place. How much does he mean to you? The fact that he would do that. And you might think, you know, Jesus doesn't understand anything that I'm going through. Bull crap. He knows exactly what you're feeling. He knows exactly what you're struggling with. He knows everything because the Bible says very clearly, look at this. Verse 18. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. Look at chapter 4, the end of chapter 4. Verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling, there it is, the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points, all points, tempted like as we are yet without sin. Every single emotion, every single feeling, every single temptation that you've ever experienced, the Bible says Jesus struggled and was, and was tempted with everything, all points. In every single point, yet there's something different about him. He chose the right path. He is yet without sin. But that doesn't mean he doesn't understand. He does understand completely. And you are flat out wrong for believing that he doesn't get it. Because he does. He went through it. So he's able to help you out of it. And I don't know why people treat God as this far off person who doesn't relate to them, who doesn't care about them, who doesn't want anything to do with them. That is, the, that is just a flat out lie from the pit of hell. It is. Because Jesus Christ walked in your shoes, felt all your same feelings, struggled with all the same stuff, was tempted with every single thing that you're tempted with, yet he was successful. He knows how it feels. And so he is able the issue is you just don't want to go to him because you really don't want out. You want to wallow in your struggle and in your self-pity party and all your problems, thinking that you're all alone, that no one can help, and that is not true. So you're in your hole because of you. That's it. And that's the truth. And that's hard, but it's the truth. And we need to hear stuff like that. If there's any hope for us to get out of the holes that we get ourselves stuck in. Jesus is able. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. He knows exactly what you've gone through. And he's able to help you. Here's some examples of the humanity of Jesus Christ. He had human ancestry. We read some about that. He was tempted. He hungered. He thirsted. He became tired. He slept. He became angry. He groaned. He wept. He prayed. He had a body, a soul, and a spirit. He died. And he still has a body. So that is major. Major. And you guys need to remember that. You need to remember that for the rest of your life. All right, point number four. Jesus Christ is the Savior. Because he was prophesied, because he's 100% God, because he's 100% man, he is the only one that is qualified to be the Savior. Now, before Jesus Christ was crucified, it was prophesied that he was going to be crucified. That's crazy. Go to Zechariah. Find that one. Zechariah. right by Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew. So if you go Matthew and back a couple books, you got Zechariah. Zechariah, and take a look at chapter 12. 
So approximately 400 years-ish before Jesus showed up, Zechariah penned this book. And this is what it says in Zechariah 12. Zechariah 12, verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day, whenever you see that day in the Bible, it's always talking about the day of the Lord. In that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me, 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 whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. So Jesus himself gave Zechariah the prophecy that this is before Jesus was even born yet, by the way. So Jesus wasn't even born yet. And he is then prophesying of his own crucifixion before he even showed up. Let that one kind of stir in your brains for a little bit. Go to chapter 13. Chapter 13. Verse 4. And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophets shall be ashamed every one of his vision when he hath prophesied. Neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive, but he shall say, I am no prophet. I am an husbandman, for man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. That's a prophecy of his crucifixion. And I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. So, right there in Zechariah. Psalm 22 is another good one. We don't have time to look at that one. But in Psalm 22, it talks about how he was crucified. His hands and his feet were pierced. He bore the sins of mankind as the Savior. We know that one in 1 John 2, 2. And he was the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Isaiah 53 talks about how he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was esteemed, stricken of God. I love that one. He was separated from the Father. We see that in Psalm 22, Matthew 27, where he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Habakkuk 1.13 talks about how God can't even look upon sin, and so God turned his face away. And Hebrews 12 talks about something similar. He destroyed the works of the devil as the Savior upon the cross. We already read that in Hebrews 2. Uh, 1 John 3 is another really good one for that one. He could not be holden of death. I love that one. Go to Acts 2. I want you to see this one. Acts 2. Death could not hold him. I love the way this is stated in Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, 24. 23 and 24. Someone read 23 and 24. Who's got it? Go ahead, Sam. Him, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and for, for knowledge of God he ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain whom God hath raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be holy of it I love that verse it was not possible the reason why it was not possible is because he was holy he was perfect he was without fault and when he died he didn't deserve it it was not possible that he should be holding of it I love that. I love that. So he could not be holden of death. He was raised to life by the Godhead. Oh, this is amazing. Um, 
let's do these verses. I think they're absolutely fantastic. Uh, let's split them up. All right, so everyone go to Acts 13. I need someone to do John 2, 19 through 21. Noah, Jack, go ahead and take um, John 10, 18. And Carson, go ahead and take the last one, um, 1 Peter three eighteen. So everyone go to Acts 13. So a lot people may not really understand this, but we talked about how the Godhead last week uh, was involved in your redemption. Well, this is another aspect of it. The Trinity raised Jesus from the dead. God the Father, God the Son himself, Jesus himself, and God the Holy Spirit, they were all a part of his resurrection. So Acts 13, 30, look at this one. It says, very simple, but God raised him from the dead. I love that. So God raised him from the dead. There's the Father. Listen to John 2, 19 through 21. Yeah, so he says, I will raise up my own body. Listen to the next one, John 10, 18. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it Take it again. This commandment have I received from my life. Okay, so he has the power to lay down his life, and he has the power to take it again. That's Jesus resurrecting himself from the dead. And listen to the first Peter three eighteen. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Quickened by the Spirit. Right there. The Godhead was all involved in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love that. Those are great verses. He is the first fruits of all those that are in Christ, um, which we will look at that later, probably when we look at the doctrine of the rapture and things, because that's pretty intense. I love it. And he is the only atonement for sin. The only atonement for sin. Now, the reason why this is huge, atonement, it's only mentioned, or it's first mentioned in Exodus. It's only mentioned one other time in the New Testament, and that would be in Romans. Um, But atonement is huge, because what would happen is that once a year, the high priest would go on and make atonement for the sins of the people. It was the high priest. It was his role alone. Like if, like, let's say, for example, we'll just use this as an example. All right, we'll say, Jaden, you're the high priest. Congratulations. All right. Sam is also a priest, but he ain't the high priest. All right. So... Let's say Jaden sleeps in on the Day of Atonement. Sorry. Slacking on your job. All right. And then Sam's like, you know what? Fine. I'll do it. The moment he steps foot into the Holy of Holies, he's dead. It's not his job. He couldn't do it. Jaden, you killed him. Great. Good job. That is Jaden's job as the high priest. That's his job alone. Until he dies and another high priest is ordained, that is his job. God was so serious about that. Jesus Christ is your only hope. You try to make atonement for your sin, guess what's going to happen? You're going to die. You can't do it. You're going to go straight to hell. That's the picture. You need a high priest that's going to do it on your behalf. It's Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Study those verses out. I love it. And I like this this little picture that I put on your guys' study sheet. An impassable chasm yawns between. I love it. It was written early 1900s. And so what I like about this is that this is exactly where we're at today. What man's wisdom teaches, salvation is by attainment upon the grounds of human merit. What you need, and you'll hear this all the time in our world today, what you need is a new start. In other uh, words, turning a new leaf. New then with your, what is that? New now then, I'm sorry, I can't read. Now then with your motto, do Develop yourself in character. That, honestly, is self-help 
that's all it is. It's the self-help programs that are out there making people feel better about themselves and how they actually are. This is all like churches like Faith Family and things like that. This is what they do. Like I was in a, uh, I was, uh, I was studying and doing some stuff on. I think it was Wednesday. I was in Starbucks and I was studying for stuff for Sunday, and uh, and for Wednesday, and I couldn't help but overhear because these ladies just spoke. I mean, in a volume that was just unbelievable. I ended up having putting headphones in and trying to drown it out with some other music, which I never do. But as they're talking, I find out through their conversation because I just can't help but be an eavesdropper because they're talking so loud. They're both in real estate. And they're talking about, you know, their husbands and what they annoy with their husbands, blah, 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 blah. And then they're talking about, yeah, you know, I was coming home from church. Okay. And I'm like, I'm shocked that she even went to church because she was just dropping God's name as a cuss word just, you know, a few sentences prior. But okay, whatever. And then she's like, yeah, you know, I thought about, you know, applying at my church because Faith Family has a, and I'm like, oh, okay, okay. I get it now. I get it now. I get it. You're lost. You go to church. Because you don't actually believe in God, and all of this is just a self-help place to make you feel better about your sin, but you're dropping God's name as a cuss word, and it's no big deal. I understand now. Like, that's, honestly, that happens in so many churches. This is, this is what churches are doing now. You need a new start. You need to, you need to develop good character. No. Bullcrap. Can't do it. Can't do it. We're sinners. We need a Savior. And that's why it says, God's word teaches salvation is by atonement upon the grounds of divine mercy. What you need is a new heart. In other words, receiving a new life. Now that your motto is done, envelop yourself with Christ. That is the biblical approach. It's not the other way around. We're sinners and we're guilty and we need a Savior. All right. Lastly, we've got the judgment seat of Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the judge. He is the judge. And because he's 100% God, because he's 100% man, he is the only one qualified to be the Savior, and he is the only one qualified to be the judge. And you can look at some of these passages later, but in John 5, and 27, it says that all judgment is committed unto the Son, and that's God's choice. That's what he chose to do. But he is the judge. He is the judge at the judgment seat of Christ. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 3. Look at a couple passages and then we'll be done. 1 Corinthians 3. All right, 1 Corinthians 3. Um, equally, 2 Corinthians 5 is fantastic. Romans 14 talks about uh, that day of judgment. And Revelation 19 talks about how that's going to take place as well. So the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, take a look at verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. We are, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. That was not part of the Lego movie first. It's part of the, uh, the book of God first. All right. All right, I'm sorry. Every time I see that word now, it's like ruined it for me. You're a master builder. All right. Steal from God again. Thanks, Hollywood. I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, now this is your part. After you're saved, verse 11, once you have the foundation of Jesus Christ, now verse 12, beyond, is your responsibility. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, Silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, the judgment seat of Christ, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work 
of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So, I've used this illustration many times. Just imagine, the day you got saved, what day was that? Okay, all right, excellent. Day after Valentine's Day. Happy day after Valentine's Day. All right, so the day that you got saved, whatever day that is, for me it was August of uh, 1989. I don't know the exact date. I could go back because it's all part of a lunar calendar. But anyway, August of 1989, that was, that was when I got saved. From that day forward, now it's like you have this life palette. And that foundation at the very bottom is Jesus Christ. That salvation is laid. Now you then build upon that foundation whatever you want. You guys have experience. We already talked about the Lego movie. Might as well talk about Legos again. Once you have your foundation, you build on it whatever you want. Now, when we're younger, we're dumb because we're not engineers. And we put it top-heavy oftentimes. Then we get frustrated why it keeps falling over. And, okay, that's a whole different illustration for another day. But you build on it whatever you want. No matter how ugly, no matter how pretty, no matter how skilled, no matter whatever, you build upon your foundation whatever you want. And it is the sum of all your choices. Your decisions, your thoughts, your intents, everything, everything is then manifested upon that foundation. And so you might have a little wood hand stubble scattered in with the gold, silver, and precious stones. But what's the difference between the two? What is the difference? One's going to burn and one's not. So what are the things that are going to burn? Like what are those things in your life that are going to burn? Video games. Yes. I don't know of a single video game that won anyone to the Lord. Yes. <laughs> it's not saying it's not possible. Okay, video games. Wasting time. Things that God, he gave you precious time. He gave you skills. He gave you talents. He gave you resources to do things for his honor and for his glory. And you did jack with it. You just spent it on yourself. Things that are temporal, here and now, have no eternal consequence and all those things are going to be the wood, hay, and the stubble. The things you actually did for the Lord with a pure heart, good motives because you loved him and you desired to serve him, those are going to be the gold, silver, and precious stones. That also means that your service in the children's ministry and VBS could be wood, hay, and stubble. Could be. Because it all depends on your motive. Why did you do it? Did you do it just to look good? Did you witness to that person just because that's what you're supposed to do and you just want to fit in? wood hands double i mean you need to think about why why are you doing these things did you read your bible just because that's what good christians are supposed to do and i did it for a while and i just quit or is it gold silver and precious stones whatever it is so you have this giant stack and then when you're at the judgment seat of christ you've got you and your stack and you got jesus and he's standing there and his eyes are aflame as fire as the bible talks about revelation chapter one and he looks upon your stack And as he looks upon it, it burns up. And whatever remains is your reward. What does your reward look like? As of today, it's like opening up the app and taking a look at your bank account. What does your spiritual bank account look like as of today? Is it empty? Can't draw it negative because you go to hell if that were the case. (laughs) Can't draw it empty. Is it at zero? You got one penny left over? Do you have anything? Do you have anything? You should have something. 
That's the judgment seat of Christ. And Jesus Christ is going to be your judge. And rightfully so. He's our savior. He gave us our new life and he has every right to judge our new life. So that's the judgment seat of Christ. And then you got five crowns there, which you can study out later, that you're going to receive based on your reward. Um, it's my personal belief. The Bible doesn't explicitly say this, but I believe that after all the wood, hay, and stubble is burned up, you have the gold, silver, and precious stones. And those are going to be the things that form the crown that you're receiving that then you can throw back at the feet of Jesus. That's just my opinion. But there's five crowns you could potentially get based upon uh, your work and your service with good motives towards the Lord. And then you got the second coming of Christ. When Christ comes back a second time, he's got, it's a day of wrath and of darkness. He's going to judge the quick and the dead, quick and the dead, his appearing in his kingdom. He's going to wipe out the Antichrist. He's going to bind Satan for a thousand years. And he's going to separate the nations as sheep from goats. And it says that in Matthew 25. And he's going to establish the nation of Israel. And so the second coming, he's going to be the judge for that. He is ordained to be that judge. And then he is the judge of the great white throne judgment. He is the one that is going to be calling everyone forward, name by name, looking through the book of life and judging people according to their works. And it's absolutely terrible. And so here's kind of just a recap of how this works out. So at the end of the millennial reign, Christ, end of the millennial reign of Christ, Satan is loosed. He's going to go out and he's going to deceive the nations of the earth. And he, the devil, will lead an innumerable amount of people in rebellion against Christ, but they will not get very far. God sends fire down from heaven. He devours the rebellion cast the devil into the lake of fire where he's tormented day and night and these events usher in the great white throne judgment where the final sentence will be handed down by jesus christ to each member uh, to each member of the second resurrection and it says in verse 15 and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire it is at this moment when the savior becomes the judge and the bible talks about it that the name of jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord of the glory of god the father and here's the thing about the great white throne judgment. When this moment comes to pass, there's no second chances. Like There's no second chances. Once this judgment is handed down, that's it. Can you imagine that for a second? Like once this is handed down, that's it. You can't appeal anything. You can't go back on anything. You can't redo. can't call a mulligan. It's over. It's over. It's pretty scary. It's final. All right. So that's that. So let's hit this last paragraph and then we're done. The Lord Jesus Christ was prophesied in the scriptures long before he arrived. The Bible proves that he's 100% God and man and testifies to have lived a perfect sinless life. And this makes him qualified to be the only savior that can make atonement for our sins in the sight of God and judge who will and, and the judge who will justly render to every created being their due reward. This next sentence has a typo in it. When that day comes it's supposed to be i don't know why he corrected does when that does come when that day comes no one will be able to point their finger back at him and say you don't understand the judgment of our compassionate perfect sin-bearing high priest will be just holy righteous and absolutely irrevocable so if any man have ears to hear let him hear that is jesus christ and i cannot believe we got all that done but you've got a boatload of verses and a lot of material in there that we did not cover so i would strongly recommend that if you want to dive into some of this stuff which is vastly important please do so all right we're gonna talk about the holy spirit next week this wednesday we're gonna start our study on laodicea and i'm pumped about it i'm also kind of ticked about it too i was watching some stuff this past week they just got me fired up i'm like oh it makes me mad so it'll be fun wednesday so invite a friend all right let's pray (laughs) God, thank you so much for our time together this morning. I pray, Lord, that we would be very submissive to you today. 
Thank you for loving us. Thank you for loving us in, in a way that is just, frankly, unfathomable. Thank you so much for becoming like us, um, giving us a, a faithful and high priest, a, a Savior that has been touched with our the feeling of our infirmities, and, and you were tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. I want to thank you for that. And I want to always remember in my heart and in my life that that is true because it doesn't matter what I'm going through, you can always be the help that I need. I just need to go to you and humble myself. So help us remember that today, and I pray that we would hear what you want us to hear in the main service. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.